0: Good day, everybody. I'm David Irvin. I'm a leadership development specialist and a best-selling author, and we want to welcome you to the Leaders Navigator podcast. The premise is simple. The podcast will provide you with insights for living and leading the authentic way so that you'll be better equipped to amplify your impact as a difference maker in any area in your life. We'll cover a variety of topics related to authenticity and what it means to bring humanity into the world. What's uniquely special is that I'm doing this podcast together with my daughter, Haley, and I'm excited about this opportunity to work jointly on this project that we are both so passionate about. So Haley, we have another special guest today, Diane McConnell, and I'm just going to read a little bio here on Diane, and then we're going to get into some good conversation today. Diane has worked as a registered psychologist and educator for over 40 years. She has a PhD in educational psychology and has broad experience with increasingly complex and multi-dimensional aspects of serving children, students, and their families from a variety of perspectives, including parenting, classroom teacher. She was a consultant, a central office administrator, senior leader within government, and board member within a national service organization. She's highly motivated and capable of providing leadership and direction in the strategic development of plans and policy support to champion the voice and engagement of children and their families i love that her underlying beliefs underlying beliefs values and commitment towards success for children and their families are fundamental to her work throughout her career training and experience, Diane has learned that building effective, trusting, and strong relationships, embracing diversity, and establishing high expectations are necessary building blocks for success. Diane believes work environments that promote an aspect of shared responsibility and reinforce the establishment of teams are essential in supporting children with diverse needs. So Diane, that was a lot. And we have wow. a very capable person here having a conversation with us. So we just welcome you. Welcome, Diane.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and wonderful to meet you, Harry. Yeah, it's so great to to chat with you. I always love to talking to
2: fellow educators and, you know, people who've spent their life working with, you know, all kinds of different kinds of people. And yeah, I just love it. So we're excited awesome. to have you, Diane.
0: Thank yeah. you. Thank you. So tell us what a little bit more from your own words about your career. What matters to you? What mattered to you in the, your four decades of working with children and families as a leader and as a classroom teacher and a consultant? What really mattered to you in that work, Diane?
1: Well, I uh, I have had a pretty lengthy career in education. I uh, my career spanned forty six years, and I started as a teacher and a classroom teacher. I initially began in junior high and uh, once I was married and we began to have a family, then I moved down into elementary school so that I had more time to spend with family and uh, I wasn't so involved in the extracurricular activities. Um, So a really uh, important part of my life is my family. Uh, I'm married to um, Roy, who's also a teacher and had a full career in education. And we have a daughter and uh, two sons. Eric is our eldest son and Ben, our youngest son. And um, with our sons on their first birthdays, respectively, both boys uh, were identified with retinal problems. And Eric initially uh, underwent a number of eye surgeries in a, in the Edmonton area, 12 to be exact. And the end result was he lost vision in one eye. And a couple of years later, of course, Ben is younger and he's born. And on his first birthday, the retinal problems showed up. And uh, they were so severe that the folks in Edmonton felt that they weren't able to manage the treatment. So they referred us to the Boston, Massachusetts Ioneer Infirmary. And off we went. And uh, over the next two years, uh, Ben had 31 eye operations. And the end result was he had his eyes removed. So I uh, was teaching during that time and it really influenced me in a way to look at education through a lens of students with diverse needs. And I became really interested in that and a little bit scared of my own role in terms of parenting Ben, who now was going to be facing his life as a blind person. And I was feeling kind of not very capable. And so I made a decision to go back to university and uh, look at perhaps teacher for the visually impaired or educational specialist uh, in the area of special education. And I had a mindset that I was going to learn the skills that I needed to learn so that I could ensure that Ben would acquire those skills. And I didn't really realize it at the time, but uh, my initial intent was that once I learned these skills and ensured that Ben was going to learn them, that uh, I would feel comfortable to feel that he could then operate in community or in society as a sighted person because he would be so skilled. And during my tenure at university, I had the opportunity to meet some pretty incredible thought leaders, that uh influenced and impacted me in terms of my own thinking and i started to think about what it was that i believed and i started to think about my role not only as a mother and i started to think about my role as a teacher and um from that point uh back in school and back teaching uh what We encountered in our boys was ongoing health issues. First one, and then the other. And this continued pretty much through the next 20, 25 years. And as they were getting older, progressively, uh, things got more complicated and things got more challenging. And in this journey with my boys, what was happening is basically every system within their bodies was being impacted so they had low bone density they had low blood counts they had calcification on the brain which created seizures Um, they had intestinal problems they had breathing problems later in their life and so over that span of 20 years um, my role as mother shifted Uh, we had a lot of really intense, adverse situations and experiences. And I kind of moved through education deeper into this field of special education. Um, We lost our boys in 2017 and 2019 as a result of this disorder that was diagnosed in their late twenties was called coats plus. It was a metabolic disorder that uh, mirrored, exacerbated aging. And so as they were growing, they were being uh, impacted by diseases that typically older people encounter. Um, and it, it uh, was pretty adverse. Um, a, a really good example I'll share with you is that one time, Eric, Uh, developed an infection and he had had a hip replacement and they removed the prosthesis from his hip. And they were trying to manage that infection and uh, weren't able to get on top of it. And he ended up in hospital for a two year period. And so during that time, Ben also had hospital um, admissions. There were other times where the both boys were in hospitals in two different hospitals in the city for periods of like two months and they would be in ICU and we'd be back and forth, back and forth trying to support them in the hospitals. So it's a huge story. And I share the story, not because it's a story of loss, even though I was pretty devastated um, as a result of the story, but I did experience some really significant things about myself. Uh, Mostly when I had exposure and I met some pretty incredible people and David, you were one of them. And some of the things that happened for me is that I recognized that I held a belief system that in and of itself was limiting. And an example of that is I really believed that in order to be good at something, I needed to learn the skills or I needed to have those skills innately a part of me. So that was my thinking when I went back to university for Ben and learning the skills to manage a child that was blind. And I learned I I really believed that I really didn't have very much to offer if I didn't have those skills. And therefore, I gave my power away to experts. And allowed them to make decisions for me and for my family that I really should have been making. And then another thing that was a limiting belief for me is I really believed that because my boys were going through so much, I needed to make it better for them. So I didn't set any boundaries. I let them, I let them run wild (laughs) over top of me. And that wasn't good for anybody. And those limiting beliefs were really getting in my way of me becoming my best self. And I was too focused on the future and disregarding the here and now. So I was missing things and I wasn't present for them. And I kept thinking, when this is all over, then we'll have a normal life. When this is all over, then we can start living. And of course, um, that was really flawed in thinking. So when I really uh, learned about those limiting beliefs and I started to think about the story that was in my head and started to believe that I really did have a choice and I could think about things differently. It was a real move and a shift from looking to the dark and feeling like a victim to looking towards the light and finding hope and excitement. And what ended up happening is I started to see my boys differently. And I started to uh, ask myself the question of, could this be grace? And that question really helped me think that everything happens for a reason. And we must be going through this experience because there's things that need to be learned. There's lessons that need to be taught. And... um, And then I got excited about that and I was much more open and present to my boys, particularly. And so not only did I have grace for myself in terms of a shift in belief, then I started to think about grace for my boys and other children that might have diverse needs. And when I started looking at my boys, then I started to get really curious about Well, how how did they experience adversity and what were they thinking? And then I got quiet and I started to listen and I started to pay attention to them. And I uh, really asked myself the question. I wonder what their experience is in the presence of me. Is my presence with them making them feel seen? Is my presence with them making them feel heard? Um, Do they feel valued? And do they feel like they really matter? And that I was really interested in them. And as soon as I started to do that, I had a different relationship with them and I had a different relationship in my family. And and that was largely Mm -hmm. influenced by your work, David, in terms of the transactional versus the transformational Uh, relationship and connection and authentic leadership and I started to really deeply embrace that and there was practical application in terms of my work with other kids and within the school system and with my staff and I started to ask continually ask myself that question what um, what's the experience that these folks are having in the presence of me And I'm really paying attention to them. And then as as time was going on and I was practicing that more, um, what kind of started to gel in my mind is this concept of being versus the doing piece. And I had a, a really profound experience with one of my colleagues and she was kind of tracking our journey and often I'd show up at work having been at the hospital all night or not up all night at home, um, tired, um, a little bit anxious and worried. And she would track kind of these experiences for me. And one morning she came into my office and she said, oh my gosh, Diane. She said, I just don't know what even to do for you. I don't know what to do to help and make it better. And a light bulb went off in my head and I said, you know, you don't need to do anything Nothing's really going to make a difference for me. But the fact that you're standing here and you're being with me is really helpful because my experience feels really isolating. And I feel like nobody nobody gets it. Nobody knows what this is like. But the fact that you, are, you, that you don't go away, <laughs> you keep showing up, uh, is really helpful for me. That's really comforting. And so I started to think more deeply about that. And I started to uh, embrace the importance of connections and relationships. And it, it, uh, it really started to make a big difference. And then the next layer of it in terms of myself and then others, I was thinking about some of the other things that as a result, our family started to do that became really important in the quality of our life. And in our life, in the day that we had today, because that's what we had. We didn't know what was going to be tomorrow or the next day. And so what we really embraced was setting high expectations. Let's just do the things that we are, you know, put out there, what's possible. And if we uh, if we feel like, you know, Ben's going to ride a bike, how are we going to make that happen? And um, we had high expectations and that really instilled lots of hope and enthusiasm into our life Um, we also never lost sight of the fact that uh, we needed to laugh and we needed to have fun and so I tried to capture those things and tried to make sure that we were laughing and that we were having fun and that we felt as normal as we possibly could in spite of the things that were going on and it made a huge difference and so Those little nuggets that I've just talked about, I identified as kind of the lessons on know thyself and know the other. Understand that adversity can change you and that you can engage in behaviors that really weren't the behaviors that are typically normal or behaviors that you would dream your dream and have fun. And um, that's kind of what was my... Uh, fuel to put it down in a book and write the book and start talking about it.
0: What I love, Diane, is the is the eloquence the that, eloquence that you that you share that story. And you've been a light in our leadership community uh, with the work that you have done to make that shift. And I'm just imagining what that shift must have been like when your children are in pain and your children are suffering, or dealing with challenges, how difficult, and I'm curious about your journey of making that shift from rescuing them to just trusting your presence of being with them. Because I could imagine that you'd want to go in there and make that all better somehow, or that I'm assuming some guilt, buttons were pushed and that you wanted to do something to compensate for the challenges that they were up against. Do you want to speak to that? And then Haley, I'm sure you've got some questions. There's so many questions I want to ask you. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that, I mean, it's a complicated situation, but the simple answer for me and the shift I could describe best as the shift in locus of control. So with Eric, the eldest, um, and so the journey was young, younger with him. We encountered things with him, and we later encountered the same things with Ben. So I felt like I had the opportunity to learn some things and do it differently. And I think the best way to describe it is that shift in locus of control. Because with Eric, I believed that the experts that I didn't create this problem. Something created this problem outside of us and the experts were going to be the ones to fix it. That's where the solution was going to be. So I kind of held my breath and went from professional to professional to professional through system, 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 thinking somebody's going to fix this. Somebody's going to do something, some procedure that's going to make it better and we're all going to be okay. And as a result of that, Eric became more and more distant from us and uh his quality of life was was poor and his mental health was poor i mean we had times with him where he was suicidal and he had to be admitted to the psych ward because of depression and then because of depression and pain uh the solution was pain meds and Uh, narcotics and then he became addicted and now we've got addiction problems and uh, he ended up in an assisted living place because we felt we couldn't manage it we're not trained to do this we can't do this somebody else is going to take care of him and then with Ben when I had like another opportunity and I was impacted and influenced and I started to say no I'm I'm part of the solution and I don't have to be an expert, but I have to be here for them and I have to just love them. And I have to um, just hold that space for them and and move forward and find ways to have fun and learn how to do stuff with them and um, Hear hear them. I know it's hard. I know that it hurts, but you're not by yourself. I can't make it better, but you're not by yourself. So it was an internal locus of control and it made all the difference. Ben stayed with us right until the very end. He never went to an assisted living place because we managed it at home. Uh even at the end when he uh had to be on a trach, Roy and I took trach training for heaven's sake. And and manage the trach at home and even though i felt like this was really scary and terrible uh i was able to do it because i i believed that i could and i needed to be part of the solution i don't know if that answered your question but for me it was really a a really big shift and i want to tell you a little bit of a story because i was talking about this at a conference and the locus of control and after the conference a lady came up after she heard the the talk she came up to me and she said you know when you when you talked about that I could see myself with an external locus of control and she said I, I I'm at work and I'm thinking everything is happening to me and and somebody else is going to fix it and she said and then I recognized that I did have a role in this and that I could be part of the solution she said it was I ran out of the session and phoned my husband told him so i I think there's a real value in terms of that message
0: and personal you know you know my thinking around personal accountability and how integral that is to living an authentic life yeah and we can really see our part of everything doesn't mean that we that that we blame ourselves but that we can begin to see how we're helping co-create the world that we sometimes complain about being in yeah. Hey, you want to ask, uh, I can tell your yeah, wheels. Are- I
2: did actually like, yeah, it was funny with, it's just funny. We're on the same wavelength dad, I think. Um. So I was wondering like, you know, how do you teach, especially like to your, you know, to your boys and then also to, you know, students that you're supporting, how do you teach them how to build that resilience, that strength, that forgiveness, that sense of grace, um, that like trusting yourself, like all of those skills that are so integral for a world that is full of uncontrollables, that is full of, you know, um, contradictions and in, in who it's built for, that isn't inclusive, that is full of uh, people that won't always look out for them. How do you build, how do you teach that in, in you know, young people and in generations younger, um, you know, how to be both full of grace, but also how to, you know, be full of resilience and strength. And to trust who they need to trust, and trust themselves, and you know, um, you know,
1: find the control that they can. I think there's two answers there. One is um, how do you, how would I teach them or others this sense of being and and yeah. understanding their own self, how they show up in the world. And I think an important part of that teaching lies in the understanding of limiting beliefs. So if you follow the work of a thought leader like Don Miguel reyes that wrote The Four Agreements, what he says in that work is that we are born without a belief system and that we're influenced and impacted by the adults that raise us, that support us, that we're in relationship with, And they're teaching us things. And as we grow, the things that we're being taught, we formalize in our mind an agreement to what's true in the world. And those become our belief systems. And as we grow and we age, sometimes we don't even know where some of those beliefs have come from. They're just a part of our personality and how we operate. And sometimes they don't serve us. And a way to discover if you have a limiting belief or not is to uh, pay attention to emotion that shows up when you encounter a certain situation. So with my voice and in teaching, I'll tell you, I, I'll give you a really good example. When I was teaching grade three and I believed that I was good at my trade of grade three, I understood the curriculum, I knew what to do, but one year, one November day, a principal knocked on my door and introduced me to a student that was going to be my student. And she had very profound needs. And I didn't have a student record, but quickly I learned she didn't know alphabet, she didn't know color, she, she did not meet my belief of what a grade three student should be arriving in my class with. And I totally panicked. So there, I was, I uh, A whole bunch of emotion was alerting me to the fact that something wasn't right. And I believed that I wasn't trained to work with her. And in her best interest, she needed to be with somebody else that was trained that could do a good job. So I advocated for her not to be in my class. Gone. And I did a good job because she didn't come into my class. And what I've learned now is that limiting belief of feeling like I needed to be the expert I needed to know what to do to actually have her in my class, apply that to my boys. I couldn't send them to a different family. So then I had to figure out the limiting belief and challenge it and say, do I really need to know what to do here? Or do I need to be their mother and love them and be present and figure things out as we go? And so with my boys, if they are encountering something and there's lots of emotion, it's an opportunity to talk about what is it that's creating this emotion? What are you thinking? What's the story in your head? And then is that story true? And what's the evidence? Because once we have a story in our head, if we believe something, we're gonna pay attention to the evidence in the world that reinforces that story. And we might disregard things that are counterintuitive to the story. Does that make sense?
0: So what Mm -hmm. you're saying is that that student could very well have come to teach you as much as you're there to teach the student and that you're on this journey together. Now, there is another belief that you could have embraced that I suspect now uh, that you would have embraced with more of that approach had that student come to you later.
1: Absolutely. Because what I know now, had I known it then, I would have said, come on in. Welcome. And I I don't know what to do, but together we're going to figure this out. And the first thing I needed to do is who's on my team? (laughs) Who's going to help me figure this out? Who's going to help me with the strategies that I need to reach and teach this little girl? But you are part of my class you belong here. These are your peers. I am your teacher, and I am loving that I get to be your teacher. That's how I would have handled it today, if I had the chance to do it again.
0: Boy, if teachers could embrace this belief, we would have so much more enjoyment in the classroom, and it would be so less stressful. And you know, and it, it just expands beyond teaching to parenting to leading The world would be just so much more full of joy if we would just embrace the learning opportunity.
1: That's right. And that's where I think my work connects with inclusion because I believe the word is a call to action. And I want to get people's attention to say, when we say inclusion, it's a call to action for you to do your own work and figure out what your belief systems are about your work. And about your your role as a teacher in the way that I can completely see it differently now. And I, I am the teacher of all children and all children need to be loved. And there's no kind of difficult, bad children. I just need to figure out who needs to be on my team so that together we can figure out what the best way forward is for those teams. So a call to action. Do your work. And re- then, secondly, really understand um, what it means to be in this together collaborative partnerships and in relationships. David, transform authentic leadership, transformational journey. Um, that's what I think it's all about. And that's what I want to talk about if I have the opportunity to talk about inclusion as a call to action. And how people understand how we absolutely in education need systemic change.
2: That's actually, that's funny that you mentioned that because that was literally my next question is, you know, because I have so many colleagues, we we have a lot of uh, students who are on the spectrum, who have ADHD, who have a variety of different learning needs at our school. And I think like the problem, and, and I'm guilty of this too, um, is the finding the the compassion and the grace when there's nothing left, when the system and you don't have the resources there. And, you know, to when all of a sudden you're, you're at your very end of your rope. And then there's one more student that comes into your class and, you know, finding the strength to be like, all right, I love you, kid. Let's bring, bring you in when, when the system is not there to support teachers who are nearing burnout, but have the best of intentions and love, Um, I think, and I don't like, I don't know if this is actually really a question now that I'm saying this, but, uh, you know, you know, how can systems, I guess, and external resources, even for parents or you know, school boards or parent groups or community groups? Um, what do we need as a system, as a society to be able to support those carers so that they still have energy to go in there and and give give it their all to those kids that need it? And I, I know this is probably a, a, you know, a master's thesis work, of, uh, work of, of questions here. But yeah, I was just wondering, like, you know, you know, what kind of systemic change do you foresee that we really truly need? Because I completely agree with you. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, it's it's not on any one teacher, and that's the problem. Yeah. Like if we have the mindset that teachers are going to do this, if in what I've said, okay, you the teacher, call to action, accept every student, you know, do your own work about your belief system, that's that's an impossible task within a system that isn't prepared to shift and change and support them and and think and work differently. So on a broader scale, and I've worked in central office, but I really believe at the end of the day, your leadership team needs to have a really clear vision of what they want their division to look like and feel like and um, and really embrace not only their students, but their staff. Do their staff feel seen and heard and valued and that they matter? And so I think that's the beginning point is to have this conversation about What is our vision, our end in mind? What are we working towards? And then there are resources available. I know in September, Alberta Ed launched this document that was kind of been in the works. I mean, when I was in Alberta Ed 10 years ago, we began the draft of this document. Well, it just got published in September and it's being, knowing and doing education under the auspices of a continuum of supports and services. And then the the work is to teach leaders what that being peace means. And I mean, education primarily is a head game. And I think we get disconnected from our heart. And I think we need to bring the heart back into education and really understand the being. And then what do we need to know? And then the doing is the practical applications of what we've learned and what we've known. And the bottom line is we do this together. We form collaborative teams and and we don't leave teachers on their own close the door in front of the uh, in front of the class because um, that's a monumental unfair position to put them in, I believe. and it's a fact that our classrooms are becoming more and more and more complicated and diverse. And I mean a homogeneous group is like a thing of the past. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and to answer um, Haley's question at a personal level, which is the work that I'm doing, is to say it starts by looking at our own belief systems and yes. our own limited beliefs, where we don't have to carry the burden of rescuing these the children in our lives or the the people that we serve in our lives, that we can really let go and enjoy the process, and mean it's an easy. Uh, it's easy to say this, but this is the work that you and I are really aligned doing, Diane. This is why yes. I am very intrigued to continue to work with you. Wow. Now, You're listen, we could talk about You're this my hero. <laughs> all day. Uh, is there anything that we have failed to ask you? This is so intriguing to me. Is there anything that we have failed to ask you, particularly around this notion of inclusion and the relationship between grace and inclusion? And our own inner work that we need to do to be to bring our authentic self more fully to the world what else would you like to say about this in wrapping this up
1: i just think it's uh i think it's really important work i think uh the timing is good i think there's an appetite you know the more opportunity i have to talk to people i think they really want to do this work. I think people want to see the changes and they want to be part of a, a movement towards these systemic changes. Um, I think people want to be in relationship. They want, to, they want to feel valued and heard and seen. And I think they just don't know how. I think there needs to be um, an opportunity to have some kind of a call to action where people have an op- have the uh, chance to come together to um, learn some of these insights, these lessons, and have the opportunity to actually experience what some of the some of this means. So to create the experience of being, for example,
0: have you got one action that you could leave our listeners with that we could take? That we could move in that direction what's one thing that we might start doing diane
1: i uh, i would say find an opportunity to connect with like-minded people and uh i mean start a movement <laughs> you start yeah. that's how you start a movement yeah. you plant a seed and you yeah. connect with some like-minded people and you support one another, but then you get enthused and then you want it to grow so you, you can hopefully influence and impact some other people because we do impact one another. Yeah.
0: Haley, I am very curious what sense you make out of all this conversation. We could just oh go on gosh. so long with this. What what's how yeah. would you summarize what this means to you?
2: Oh honestly, I, I think we need a part two, to be honest with you. <laughs> like there's a lot to unpack here. I love this. Yeah. And well, I mean, I, of course I have a vested interest, you know, teaching a lot of special education myself too. Like, I just, I just feel like, I feel like for a long time and I know I'm, I'm still like a, a fairly, you know, new teacher, you know, I haven't been teaching for 10 years yet, but, um, I just feel like in general, not just in, you know, the the sphere of education, but just in general, I feel like like you know in a world that's becoming increasingly isolated and lonely and and you know intolerant in a lot of ways i feel like i really like this idea of just being and listening and valuing others and um you know just just being there for each other and not doing and buying more but just being there for each other and and being there in the moment and you know whether that's working with a child who's on the spectrum and you know having one of their hardest days or whether that's you know with a colleague who has a lot going on at home and is is struggling to manage at work um you know whether that's your, yourself with you know trying to to juggle and and manage you know parenting and working and you know personal development all of these things i think it's just about I think just taking a breath, accepting that just being in the moment is perfect and, you know, listening and meeting people where they are and, and you know, I think is just like, you know, what, what everybody needs to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I wanted to share is the rewards that
2: yeah.
1: we reaped by myself kind of making these changes is that my boys, I mm-hmm. think in spite of the challenges that they faced, which were monumental my son ben traveled he went to university in ottawa scotland victoria he graduated as a lawyer he was called to the bar eric did the sound engineering he was in bands he wrote music in fact he wrote uh a song for my book could this be grace and my daughter sang it at his celebration um i think wow in spite of adversity and the challenges in the world there are so many gifts and talents and opportunities for people to blossom like flowers if we just have the correct story in our head which is look to the light and don't trend yourself down to the dark i love that well,
0: You have given us all a gift today, my friend. Thank you for joining us in this very, very rich conversation that could certainly go on for some time. Now, as custom to our podcast here, we like to end by sharing our gratitude. So we will partake in that conversation to wrap this up. Who would like to go first? I I think I will start this. Um, I, I am just very grateful for this conversation today. I'm grateful for the reminder that we uh, uh, start with ourselves. That we can't lead others until we really look at our own belief systems. And I loved how you framed that. I'm grateful to have had you here today, Diane. I'm grateful for meeting you, and I I'm grateful for the light that got Sean. That that got Sean. I don't think that's the right word, but. I don't even th- think it's a word, but I, I felt the light that was sh- that was shining on the reminder of why you and I are so aligned, uh, where it begins with ourselves. And it begins with really looking at those limiting beliefs and changing those limiting beliefs and relaxing and enjoying our leadership as we do that. So I'm just very grateful for this conversation. And I remain grateful that i have a daughter that is uh enriched by these conversations and so uh, passionate about this work and uh just along with me on this journey
1: awesome would you like to go next, Diane? i'll go next oh. uh i i just feel so uh, there's so many things that i can say right now that i feel grateful for one is this opportunity i feel so grateful for this opportunity um to have this conversation and very close to that is i feel really grateful that i had the opportunity to meet you Haley. it was awesome Uh, i know in the in opportunities that i've had to spend with david and and uh and through various conversations he speaks so highly of you and it was uh really exciting for me to meet you so that was lovely and David, I am so grateful in my life that I had the opportunity for to find you. <laughs> I am president of the fan club out here in the world and I've learned so much and it's landed and it's resonated and I practice it and then when I forget, I go back and I get reminded. And so uh, thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. We will continue to learn together my
2: friend. I love that. Good. Good. I'm grateful. Do you want to wrap this up? Yeah. I was gonna say I'm grateful for both of you. And honestly, Diane, like, like especially today too, after you know having a couple of really crazy days with with teaching, just like you just you came at the perfect moment for you know selfishly for what I need to hear. Um but just you know about you know finding that hope and grace with you know looking to the light and, and calling yourself on, you know, what narrative, what story is going on in your head and kind of getting out of your own way, um, to find that strength. Um, you know, especially when it's so easy to be like, I don't have time for this. This is too busy. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but to, you know, to find the hope and to find the the strength and, and just, just being there and listening and, and challenging your, your current story, your current narrative that's going on in your head. It was just, uh, you know, inc- incredible. It's just like the, the most perfect reminder. Um, so I'm really grateful that we could have had this conversation today too, Diane. Like I, I, I just learned, I learned a lot from your wisdom and dad, I always learn a lot from your wisdom, but you know, always, a, <laughs> always nice to chat anyways. <laughs> no, but this was, uh, you know, especially, you know, being in education myself too. And it's just, it, it fills me with joy that there are so many people out there who are willing to, and, and have the energy to make this change. Cause I see, you know, how how these systems are are failing to meet some of their most vulnerable members um, of of our population, uh, and they're just falling through the cracks and they're being neglected. And it just it it fills me with hope that, you know, there are people out there who are working to change the system and, you know, working from the top down and from within to, you know, make people feel valued and remind people that they can be valued and and that they can do great things and they, they they are deserving of love so it's just very very empowering
0: well thanks to both of you and i hope that our listeners will grasp as i am that this goes it's in as important as it is in education it extends beyond education to making this world a better place to live in and and uh may we all be a little bit more graceful with each other may we all be a little more kind and real and may we all look within to find our light thanks everybody for joining us and thank you all
1: thank you good night